Wish I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot on a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. And every time we dive in, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we love and it feels just like this, it feels just like this, it feels I wish I had a time machine, wish I had a better rhyming speed, wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean, I wish that I could spread my wings, I wish that I had seven limbs, that way I could hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dear Lord, at least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the like that. So How you doing tonight? We're a little on the early side because I have late night dinner reservations. <laughs> but I'm happy to get at least a solid hour in with you guys. Look, I know it's been a kind of a wild week. If we have more to chat about, then I'll consider doing an ancillary episode. I saw a request, I think, in the Patreon for more video uh, versions of the call-in where I take questions on the uh, YouTube channel, YouTube stream. And I've been really wanting to get subscriber numbers up. We've been like hovering around 70-odd thousand for a really long time. I feel like I should have 100,000 subscribers. I feel like I should have one of those little YouTube plaques. I would like 100,000 subscribers. I don't think that's too much to ask. So maybe I will do more um, live streaming, including um, a live stream about all of this uh, wokeness stuff. But I also don't want to um, preempt anyone who just wants to talk about today's episode. So as always, um, the night is yours. Let's see what you guys have on your mind. Nathan, you're up first. Can you unmute yourself for me, Nathan? Now I got it. I don't know what was going on. No worries. No worries at all. So, How you doing? What's on your mind? Are you able to hear me? Because I'm having a hard time hearing you on my side. Sometimes the call-in doesn't work very well. And sometimes I think it's maybe the fact that I have one bar on my phone. Oh, weird. Okay. Does this change anything? Because it was just around a little bit for me because I think my um, microphone oh, cord was loose. You can hear me? Yep. We're good. Okay, great. So what's on your mind tonight, Nathan? Yeah, so um, now I can't remember where I saw this clip, but I'm from Minnesota, so I feel like I have a little more like justification to be mad at this. Oh, I know what I already know what this is about to be. Go ahead, Nathan. Yes, the state legislature, <laughs> they had a debate around I it was food stamps or something. You could probably help me with some of the details, but mm-hmm. one of the Republican legislators was like Oh, I've never met anyone that's hungry. And I'm going to be honest. The moment I heard that, I just had this, like, it's, I, I like, wanted to just go through the screen <laughs> back in time and go slap the person in the face because that, I, I literally heard that clip just one day after 
I walked all the way through the winter weather because I don't have a car. I walked all the way. It wasn't that long, but it was like 15 minutes to the food shelf. And then I Mm. had to walk to the bus to go get back. So I went to the food shelf the day before I heard this clip. Okay, let's let's cue up the clip because this is too good for people uh, who haven't heard it not to yeah. listen to it. And by good, I mean terrible. I mean immoral and stomach churning. This is Minnesota, I believe, state representative. Oh, sorry, state senator uh, Stephen Dreskowski. We covered this uh, on the Hill this morning. Additionally, I put this in my radar from Wednesday because I just had to get when I saw it. I was like, I'm going to shoehorn this into a radar. I need to make sure that this graces the screen. Yes, that's where I uh, heard it. Okay, all right, so here we go. Here's, here's the clip. I have yet to meet a person in Minnesota that is hungry. Yet today. I have yet to meet a person in Minnesota that says they don't have access to to eat. Now, I should say that hunger is a relative term, Mr. President. You know, I had a cereal bar for breakfast. I guess I'm hungry now. Uh, that... To some, might be that maybe that's the definition of the bill. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't see a definition of hunger in the bill, Mr. President. Um, but I think most reasonable people suggest hunger means you don't have enough to eat in order to to uh, provide for metabolism and growth. Yeah, I guess that's what uh, hunger means. And wait a minute, I don't know if you saw this, Nathan, but did you also see um, Ben Shapiro's take on this issue? Um, no, but I kind of imagined in my mind what the video would be. <laughs> you have it queued up. And it's really short. Oh, honey, I have it queued up. Do I ever have it queued up? We, this was also in the clip from Rising this morning. Here we go. Here's, here's Ben Shapiro weighing in on, uh, is hunger real in America? Child hunger at any serious level. If you, Wait, let me back it up a little bit. School lunches are not going to solve the problem of child hunger at any serious level. If, if there is a problem of children actually starving, that is a child endangerment scenario to which CPS needs to be called. Uh, if you're talking about actual child starvation, the truth is it does not take that much money to feed a child. I know I have three of them. Uh, the, you should be feeding your child before you feed yourself. It's that simple. There's a much deeper problem at work than school lunches if kids are legitimately starving. Once again, big if, if hunger is real, if child hunger is real, it's the fault of a negligent parent who is stuffing their own face before they're, stu- they're feeding their children. And CPS should be called and presumably take your child away if you're too poor uh, to eat. Thoughts, I Nathan? I grew up poor, and, I, and this is the thing. In the moment, I didn't really see this as being like something that was, you know, something to, to be concerned about. But when I got my first job at 16, I, I wasn't just using the money from that job to, you know, go to, like, school trips and stuff. A lot of it mm. I was, but actually the bulk of it I was using to pay for my own car and the gas and the repairs and everything and for my own school lunches when I was 16. Mm. And I don't know how common that experience is, but I, it took me years to realize that there was something weird about that. Yeah. Because I'm an American and apparently it's just normal for people to have school lunch debt. Yep. Like, yep. Like there was like there was one time where I had forgot to put money in there and I just had to literally walk away from from the line and I didn't Mm. get anything. And it was so embarrassing, but Mm. I just kind of had to do it because that's what the school policy was. And it's just like that. It's cruel. That is such a cruel thing. Now, of course, I wasn't going to starve or anything because 
I had food at home, but if they don't have food at home and there isn't money to put in the school lunch account and then there's no school lunch program, at least not one that they can access, like what are they going to do? Are they just going to go like eat rocks or something? Right. And that's a straw man, by the way. Ben Shapiro's the, the framing that unless someone is starving with their ribs sticking out of their abdomen, you know, then they're not food insecure, that they're not getting their nutritional needs and that they're not hungry is absurd. The, the first guy, just right. just Drakowski's com- comparison to a, oh, I didn't eat a cliff bar this morning, so my stomach growling is so offensive. And by the way, when we talk about how common this is, I believe the set is one out of every five uh, American children is food insecure. And it's mm-hmm. so common that, frankly, I mean, I don't want to talk about anybody's business, but um, somebody who works on the production team, you know, came up to me afterwards saying, I'm so glad that you ended up doing that clip because I grew up poor. I grew up hungry. We had food mm-hmm. insecurity issues. And this is someone who identifies as conservative and was like, it's really offensive to me, a narrative that at least some members of the party have chosen to pursue. So I don't know what they're doing. I don't know why we would want to kick this particular hornet's nest. I don't know if they have polling somewhere that tells them that what Americans want is to go after poor kids. But it's absurd. Right? Because there's two different kinds of hunger. There is, or sorry, food insecurity. There's the immediate urge that I'm hungry. And then there's malnutrition. And so, and, and so there's a lot of kids who are suffering from not necessarily immediate hunger, but from malnutrition. And it might not appear mm-hmm. at that moment, but when they're like my age, I'm only 23 years old. And to be fair, I didn't suffer from malnutrition, mm-hmm. but there are probably a lot of people my age who are suffering from all kinds of medical issues because they had malnutrition when they were 10 or 15 years old. And there's nothing they can do about that. They can't go back and reverse history mm-hmm. to go and become not nutrition mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. affected and so mm-hmm. i think a lot of these people like ben shapiro they seem to have this delusional belief that if people just go do the grind set that they're asked to do that somehow everything's going to work out whereas as me as someone who has studied economics understands that if everyone puts forth 50 percent more effort then everyone still gets the same result in the end. It just changes what the baseline is. Mm. So, so the idea that just doing more effort is going to get you more outcomes is ridiculous because we're not changing the systems. We're not changing what any of the actual standards are and what the laws are. We're asking people to go try and be a more productive worker, which is fine. But like, as someone who relies on, on food shelves – it can be very unreliable some weeks. Yeah. Like there are food items I'll put on there and then I'll go there and it'll, and it'll take weeks for me to get that food item. Now imagine someone even poorer than me who can't even go to the store at all and they only rely on the food shelf. What if they run out of fresh fruit for two weeks? What are they yeah. going to do about that? Uh, are they just going to go eat potatoes and beans and not have any vitamin C or something? It's like – yeah. And honestly, the shaming, there was a little bit of this in the Ben Shapiro comment, but the, the kind of weird obesity shaming that's in here at the same time that you want to deny people nutritional alternatives is also an outrageous level of this. I mean, there were so many things to get at in this clip. The idea that your, your kid should be taken away if you're too poor to keep food in the house. The idea that if you don't have food in the house, it's because you're somehow gluttonous and greedy and putting your own needs ahead of your parents. Ben Shapiro's odd framing that, you know, you, you, I don't even understand why your brain would go to that place, go to that kind of presumption, unless you have some idea in your head that 
poor people are just monstrous, immoral humans who don't care about their children. Unlike you rich, wonderful. It's, 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 it's so disgusting. Mm -hmm. Moreover, there was, if you go and watch the whole clip, you know, there was this moment where I was co-hosting with Batia today and there was this kind of implication that this is something that disproportionately affects urban, urban environments. And I had to hop in there because I think that a lot of how these programs get cut is a narrative that says, oh, this is free stuff going to black and brown people. And obviously no one should care who disproportionately is affected by these programs or who's affected minority by these programs. But rural kids experience food insecurity at an incredible rate. And most people who are beneficiaries of these programs in the United States of America, a country that is 70 percent white, are white kids. And so you can you can see the slippage happening where they're like, well, you know, this is this is kids that you don't really care about anyway or kids who have, whose parents are lazy because they're black and brown. This like delicate narrative slippage that happens that allows people to get away with cutting these programs because they think it's not mm-hmm. our kids. It's not good kids. It's not meritorious kids. And so I got to you know, I had to push back against that as well, you know, to the extent that you think you're only hurting some urban urban child somewhere whose parents should know better because they're like a welfare queen or a crack mom or whatever other 80s narrative is in your head that's not even who you're hurting with this stuff i mean just you know overwhelmingly that's the thing is that my mom has told me this many times she's she's not against welfare and she's against fraud and deceit which is fair but mm-hmm. the point is what she told me she's she tells me this like here twice a year just by every time she sees me when i was really young she used wick mm-hmm she used Wick to get my formula. And so just imagine if that wasn't there, mm-hmm. I'm still, of course, I'm still being born. It's not like the birth doesn't happen in 99. I'm still being born, same day, all everything, but there's no Wick. Where would I be today? The answer is not here. I'd be somewhere. And to be fair, the place where I'm at isn't great right now, but it's mm. better than being, but it's better than not having enough food as a baby. Is all yeah. I'm going to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I really appreciate you calling in, Nathan, because honestly, one of the, the conversations I was having with my, um, the person on the production team today, you know, one of the points they made was, you know, it's, it sucks for, you know, it is, it's embarrassing. Like, it sucks for poor, pe- poor people or people who've gone through that experience to have to come forward and kind of out themselves to get people like Ben Shapiro and this uh, Minnesota rep to take them seriously and to see them. And it, it's very similar. I was thinking about how this is with, you know, we talk about sexual assault and a lot of other sensitive issues. It's like a real, it sucks to, for people to have to trot out their own low points in their life or really stigmatized subjects to prove, hey, I exist. You can't write me off and pretend that there's anything equivalent to what I've experienced and you not having your cliff bar this morning. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm very grateful to you for calling in about this. I might not have played this clip otherwise on this episode today, but it is one of the most insane things I've seen. All, I shouldn't use that word, but the, the most crazy making things I've seen all week. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad you called in to speak to it. Yeah, well, this is the last thing I'll say, which is that there's a lot of people even today who will kind of poo-poo the whole notion of systemic racism. But mm-hmm. every time I go to the food shelf, okay, I see that systemic racism. Every time I go to the uh, to, to the community health center, I see it. Every time I go to any of those places where you would, you know, expect the poors to go, even though the town is like 90 plus percent white, mm-hmm. at least half of the people there are people of color. And that's mm-hmm. obviously not a coincidence because it's not like most Hispanic or most black people are just lazy Mm -hmm. it's it's that they're in a system that doesn't treat them with respect 
that's why they're disproportionately at the food shelf and at the community health center. Well, you'll get a different you'll, you'll get a different uh, you'll get a different explanation from certain people in our society, unfortunately, and that's part of I think um, what, how we get into this this wokeness mm-hmm. business because when they start to define it, they start to say things like, "Well, they believe that all inequity in the country is the, the consequence of systemic racism," which I think is an overstatement. I don't think that everyone thinks that every inequity is a consequence of systemic systemic ne- racism. I don't think the fact that there's like more male firefighters, uh, firefighters than women firefighters is all systemic sexism. I think that there are like weight requirements and strength requirements and, you know, women are not opting in for reasons that aren't sexism and all kinds of things that are in the mix. But some of it is, but what they do is they overdefine it as all to make it seem like kind of ridiculous in its absurdity. And then they say, well, because what they really want to say is they don't think any of it is because of systemic anything. They think it's all because of personal merit and choices. And they don't have to have any responsibility from a public perspective to address any of those issues. So, yeah. Thank you, Nathan. This might be a seed for an episode, but I live in Minnesota and there's this kind of like violent classism. Mm. So the people with money, don't really interact very much, if at all, with the people who don't have money like me. And I don't Mm. know if that's a seed for an episode, but in my opinion, classism is probably the worst ism in the entire country. Mm. I think that's true. This is by volume. Yeah. When I heard Ben Shapiro talking about it, like in in the rep of yours, um, I mean, I I believe them when they say they've never met a hungry person, you know, like, and a part of me, it's not that I have empathy for that, but a part of me is like, okay, it's not just that you're evil. You're also just completely un- un- unex- underexposed. I mean, look, you're also evil, to be really clear. <laughs> but you're also just underexposed. And I remember, like, like I said this on the show today, and I, like, I completely recognize my, pri- my privilege. I'm not saying that performatively, but I've had these moments in my life where it has been invisibilized to me. People who have come from different circumstances than I have have been invisibilized. And I've had these humbling experiences where I'm in a a classroom environment where we talk so much about racial inequity that I'm sitting there thinking of myself as like the one with the hard scrabble existence. And someone opens up about their own personal economic trials that I have not had to experience. And it's very humbling. And one of those humbling experiences was in in a poverty law class I took in law school where we had to like pull attributes out of a hat like your job your salary how many kids you had etc and you had to make a go of it with the numbers on the piece of paper using massachusetts um uh, social safety net programs and see what you could afford and where you could live and like how much how what groceries you could buy every week and boy oh boy was that a wake-up call for a lot of folks Mm -hmm. in that harvard law class that otherwise would never have had a clue myself included you know, you think you kind of have a sense of it and how bad it can be as a generally left-leaning person. And I, I will never forget how much harder, especially those childcare costs, my Lord. I don't know why I had all those kids. No. <laughs> um, but, you know, my hypothetical, I had one or two kids. It wasn't even a lot. Um, it's, it's, it's impossible is what it was. It's literally impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you, Nathan. I appreciate you weighing in here. Yeah. Th- thanks for the... Uh... Thanks, thanks for just having the arena on the hill for that. Because like you said, a lot of these things go really silent because because no one who is doing the media or the policies even sees these people. Yeah, yeah. All right, keep the faith, my friend. Yeah, you too. All right, Bye. bye-bye. Rika. Oh, for those of you who don't know, I do one from the front and then I hop around. I feel like I have to announce that periodically because there might be some new folks who don't know the pattern here. So 
I will come back to the front of the line after Rika. And if you were way back in the back, don't despair. I do a little bit of a random shuffle. But Rika, how have you been? Long time no chat. Hey, Bree. Long time no chat. I've been doing good. Just, I'm glad uh, to hear it. I'm busy. I was on vacation in Puerto Rico, enjoying mm. life a little bit. So, nice. yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, I loved, loved the viral clip of you <laughs> being, like, just a basic ass question to this person around wokeness and her inability to articulate it was... Oh, it was just, and then I love what people also failed. I think Breaking Points did a good job of covering the clip actually, and the whole post, like Robbie also kind of trying to articulate it, and also really like mm-hmm. coming up with a very interesting and wildly disparate definition compared to what she was saying, mm-hmm. which was like the point was just so brilliantly made, and I was just like, slow golf clap, way to go, Brie. Way- <laughs> To go. And I know you said it wasn't a gotcha moment, but for us over here who have been just like reeling at the whole use of the term woke um, to be anything that the right just finds, um, you know, not in their favor is just like uh, irritating AF. But um, yeah, so I appreciate that. I just want to give you your flowers for that. Well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate uh, you saying that. It's, it, it was truly odd to me to see how viral that went in particular. <laughs> I certainly had no sense that it was going to have that broader reach. I saw someone on Patreon say that it was in the Daily Show's show uh, clip. I forget what they used to call it. Like the, the, it, Bill Maher calls it his like, um, lessons of the day or medicine food for thought something whatever their little wrap-up segment is i haven't seen that if anyone has a link send it to me but you know i was trying to figure out why it was because i mean to be honest i feel like i have much harder conversations every day trudging <laughs> through on the hill interviewing people cross-examining that day you'd be like i feel like i work so much harder <laughs> for that to be the thing that gets people who have been rather antagonistic to me in the past to be honest to be singing yeah. my praises so that o'brien referred to my genius I yeah. I'm still trying to process that. You're 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 the uniter of the left. <laughs> Apparently that's all it took. The broad coalition just means you, Brie. That's what it was. Look, maybe I'm doing this wrong. Maybe liberals yeah. are on to something and what brings us all together really is just dunking on conservatives and I should stop trying to be <laughs> gracious and talk across the aisle and all of that stuff. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Obviously. Wait, wait, wait. But um you since you brought it up and it was something I actually wanted to talk to you about too was the um because I watched the tw- the committee hearing on the Twitter files with the Matt Taibbi, mm-hmm. um, and I'm forgetting the other journalist and his name. And um, I was I was just thinking of you and in your interview with him and how like you were kind of the warning for what the Dems were going to do. Like you you said. Matt, you probably should be couching this a little differently. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, and and then sure enough, like, and I don't know, maybe the Dems would have already, like, have done and treated him that way regardless of how he couched it. But I I kind of feel like they, they were just, I mean, going after him because of, I, from my perspective, I mean, I think the real reason why they're doing it is because they are just trying to cover Biden's ass like no mm-hmm. other, right? Like, it's like everyone lines up together and is circling the wagons to make sure that he is not seen as like a buffoon, but, or as, or as like putting, being an authoritarian person, because then all of a sudden then him and Trump become 
too similar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just also like, yeah, Matt, you could at least insulate yourself a little bit more with, you know, not jumping to this analysis that it's like, or at least putting it out there that it's the right who's receiving the most of this, right? Yeah. So I think that it's not about, I think you're right that the liberals were going to say what the liberals were going to say, but couching it gives Matt Taibbi the ability to defend himself with more credibility than couching it. That's right. So it's not about like changing the behavior of the people in bad faith who are asking you the question. It's about putting yourself in the best position to look good to the broader audience of millions of people who are in some ways being exposed to the Twitter files for the first time because the mainstream media never really wanted to cover it. And And to that end, it's like, like, I think on some level Matt understands this because he, when, when the uh, Chrissy Teigen stuff happened at the hearing a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. his Twitter response was to say, well, I did, like, I did say something about t- Trump making requests. I did say that it did, there was some stuff that was kind of right directed um, at the left or mm-hmm. from the right uh, trying to coerce Twitter as well. I just didn't attack it. And I'm like, well, if it were me, <laughs> and I, right. I, I knew that there was something out there, and I saw immediately the way this was being framed, I would want to resist that framing because I would want to be taken seriously. Right. But, you know, right. when he, he kind of admitted in that moment, this was my radar was about a couple of weeks ago when that happened. Mm-hmm. When that, when he, when he tweets, I have evidence from a source. This is what we learned from our episode. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned from a source that was not the Twitter files that Trump had been making these requests. But I'm going to report on all this other conservative stuff or anti-conservative stuff. Liberal liberals make trying to make requests of Twitter and mm-hmm. not do more research into what those Trump requests e- even are. Then you can't be mad when they pull out the Christy Teigen stuff as a gotcha. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. I. I'm, it made me wonder too, I have like a couple of questions for you after this, but I, 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 what I'm wondering what the Republicans like, like game is with this because it, they are this whole switch now with like being all of a sudden, yeah, yeah. They, they're saying that they're free speech warriors and it's like helping with that kind of ethos or whatever, but you have to really go against this like idea of state censorship and state authoritarian overreach. Right. And they're all about that. Like, mm-hmm. They are all about that, especially when it's convenient for them. So I'm just, I just don't understand like what the ultimate, why they're all so like, they were all like praising Matt. They were, they were so hell bent on like being like, yo, you're amazing. You're a hero. You're going to down in history for this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, the lauding of that made me like super creeped out. I was like, what is going on here? Like there's something more that they're, I feel like there's something more that they're trying to do. And it made me think about Glenn Greenwald's comment about like, well, if, if Elon is your source and this is what he's giving you or Twitter's just giving you all this information, I would be really skeptical about not getting all of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I, and so I'm just kind of, I don't know. I'm a little, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Just like, where is this coming from and what your skepticism is? Look, I I think there's something that's very normal and human and which I don't judge at all about cultivating positive feelings toward people who are nice to you and are treating you fairly when other people are mean to you and treating you unfairly. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me and I don't like really judge 
Matt or Glenn or anybody who's been accused of like being overly friendly to the right to take the platforms that are afforded to them to go on Joe Rogan, to go on Fox News, to make their case and to even start to feel warmly toward people who are treating you with decency and respect and listening to your ideas like that is. Of course, that is like very human. Right. But that does, there is this added kind of responsibility to not like let their framing, which not, might not be identical to yours, carry the day. And that's yeah. a difficult thing to constantly be pushing back on. Today, co-hosting with Batia, who, <laughs> who agrees with me about some things, right? Yeah. And who has a very personable, friendly demeanor. I felt like it was actually, mu- it's much more stressful to co-host with her than Robbie. Because when they're these little, like, it's so much more subtle when something I say gets kind of turned in a way that I would look back and say, oh, no, 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 I don't agree with that at all. (laughs) Robbie's disagreements were just disagreeing. Batia's are like, oh, I can see how this slippage can start to happen. And suddenly we're arguing that, uh, you know, she's like, yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. We just have to means test. We just have to means test this progressive (laughs) program more. And also I'm a Marxist. I'm like, wait a minute, what just happens? Yes. You know, and so I think that like, and I want to say this in the least judgmental way possible. There's a way that when you're like on a show with somebody who doesn't, you know, I, I don't think Joe Rogan's, you know, the worst example, but you, you can be on a show with someone like Tucker or whomever, right. and you're like right. nodding along and they're supporting your work and you're agreeing with them. And they might overstate something. They might not use the couched language that you would use to de- to describe the weight of the evidence that you've seen so far or how much you can conclusively say about all the evidence that's out there given the sliver that you've seen. And I think that started to happen to me. I think initially he didn't take as hard a position that most of the evidence was against the right. Mm-hmm. And he did have more caveats. Although even in that first Twitter thread, I will say he, I was trying to find it, um, but I got distracted. He does say something about how like the evidence seems to be mostly about conservatives trying to influence Twitter because most of Twitter is made of liberals. Um, and there's like a, an ideological bent there anyway, which I think it's like true. Like, I, I mean, I think it's, uh, I think it's probably true that at tech companies, most people are Democrats. Probably. I don't, I don't think that that's yeah. an unreasonable presumption, but that's yeah. not the claim, right? The claim is not about what Twitter actually does. Cause oftentimes, like as, as the Twitter files went on, we learned that even the people who were initially painted as the villain of the Twitter files, um, were giving a lot of pushback to everybody. Right. So the right. story is really about the attempts that are being made to influence Twitter more than what Twitter actually does in all but a handful of instances. Exactly. And so if if the, the who's there is kind of irrelevant at, at that level of it. Right. So it's like who's making the request? Well, you know that Trump is making a request, but you don't follow up on that. Right. And, you know, it's important to investigate the FBI and CIA request. And I'm so glad you did follow up on that. But you can't make claims about. Anything, uh, you know, the broader world, the universe of what was happening at Twitter. Right. You know, he says 90 odd percent of the Twitter models happening at the algorithm level. Well, mm-hmm. how much investigation are you doing into the algorithm inputs? How much can you right. tell us about what the algorithm is changing? Because really, with that in mind, then all of the Twitter file stuff is a very, very small slice of the um, suppression story of what's happening on Twitter. Exactly. It's a big story from like, uh, what is the deep state doing? Huge, and I'm so glad he's reporting on it. We should continue to talk about it. Uh, absolutely, but it's not really a big piece of the who's getting suppressed on Twitter story. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and again, then whose agenda are you serving? Do you end up inadvertently serving? Right. When you are, you know, you're thinking you're doing one thing, but then all of a sudden they're organized to take advantage of this evidence and use it for their own means. Right. And that's, that's what I'm like, this is a little, 
I, well, and I, and it doesn't help too that these, and I, I mean, I'm not like pro pro these Dems anyway, but mm-hmm. all of the Dems are like, you know, Russia gay, blah, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's like, it's, and then all of a sudden now becoming best friends with the FBI. Like what the fuck? Like, it's I, so weird. Did you see Claire McCaskill today or yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Crazy. I'm just, I, I, it makes me want more daylight to be expressed between the Democrats and a, what it means to actually be a leftist, right? Like, I, mm. I, that needs, like, I feel like that needs to, I feel like principles around anti-capitalism and then like anti-authoritarianism, anti-totalitarianism, like those anti-imperialism, right? Those principles need to be firmly lines for leftists, like firm, firm, firm lines that the well, did you see the segment? Uh, Nathan came on. Nathan Robinson came on uh, to talk about that Puck article on AOC. Puck News published this piece that was largely complimenting AOC for taking a practical, moderate approach to building power, building power <laughs> uh, in the Democratic Party. Uh, and obviously, you know, Nathan and I felt differently when we talked about it on the show today. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's it's it is a harder issue, like. I, I don't think that people should bend the knee. I think people have to be adversarial, and I think that you're completely right that the gap between what is a what is an actual leftist and what is like a Democrat has collapsed, especially in the wake of everybody um, bending over backwards to applaud Hakeem Jeffries and his acrostics back yes. in the force of vote moment. Yeah, and and when you see the the kind of push and pull on the right, I'm frankly very envious that they're excuse me that they're allowed to have a level of ideological diversity in their party. But also, we do have to recognize a left of how we're going to support candidates if they are the real thing when they're up against what we know they're up against from DMFI uh, and uh, those APAC aligned super PACs. I don't know if you guys read or listened to uh, Ryan Grimm did this uh, report that he also turned into a podcast about what happened with Maxwell Frost and how he went from being like a free Gaza rally leader to talking about like, I support the, the president on our, you know, Israel relationship. Oh, no and da, 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 da. Wow. So like, it's basically like they did a negotiation and, and he was weirdly open with Ryan about it in these interviews. And then at the end of the day, if they don't, if they don't, put out they don't put out to these orgs that they don't like to tell them that basically i'm not going to talk about palestine anymore i'm going to let it go mm-hmm. then they won't get into the race and the the super PACs won't get involved in their race and they have a chance at winning mm-hmm. and if the super PACs get involved unless you're like summer lee who i think is the only one who made it through you're screwed that's what took down Nita turner that's what took down the andy levin that's what took down um so many folks right yeah i i mean i don't I, I I think those conversations sometimes are hard because it, it depends on like what you're grounded in. If you're ground, like who, who are your people? Who, who are you accountable to? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, especially movement work. And when we're organizing and trying to get people into office and power, like what does that actually look like? I think those, you know, wh- who, when you're going to make those compromises and who you make those compromises with and for like some, and the granular level are very difficult, you know? And I, but I do think like, it's just, I don't know how you can call yourself a leftist and look at what's happening between Israel and Palestine and be like, oh yeah, okay, I support what's happening with, you know, like support more weapons to Israel. Like what? Like, no, 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 no. Yeah, I mean, and I don't think that Maxwell Frost does, but he's willing to zip it up (laughs) to get into office. And now that he's in office, I don't see him unzipping it. 
you know right. like I, I on some level i could even like respect a pantomime like oh i'm about to lie about it just to like get in and then i'm gonna have the incumbency advantage and then i'm gonna like let my free flag fly right. and by my free flag i mean just my palestinian flag fly yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> <laughs> but like that's not happening either uh and so i don't know it's, it's just something that we have to reckon with that reporting by ryan was i think just very humbling to me so Look, I appreciate you calling in, Rika. I have to uh, wrap at 8.30, so I've been chitter-chattering. I've been enjoying this. It's my fault, but the fact that I've only gotten through two callers is uh, not great. I'm sorry, everyone. No worries. No worries. Thank you for taking my call. I appreciate you. Thank you. Keep the faith. All right, Carolina boy, let's see if we can do this in like five minutes. Let's see if we can, you and I both, have some discipline. Hey, Bree, can you hear me? Loud and clear. What's on your mind tonight? Okay, cool. Yeah, well, I wanted to talk about the viral clip. Um, okay. I thought that, no, I, I, I love you so much. I, I, I think that, you know, a few months ago, I think on Colin, I brought up this subject um, about is the right overplaying their hand on uh, Colin everything woke, kind of mm-hmm. the way that, kind of, kind of similar to how the left has uh, sort of, you know, clumsily made a lot of flimsy racism accusations that mm-hmm. tend to, you know, start to get them in the tr- in trouble. And um, I think we've seen, you know, at that time we were talking about like the Halle Bailey getting cast as the Little Little Mermaid, them calling mm-hmm. that woke, and them calling masking woke, and and all this stuff. Then, and so I, I think you you may have honestly single handedly popped their bubble uh, with uh, <laughs> you know, with that clip today or the, the other day. And uh, one point, one thing about that. Uh, I was I, I, I saw the I like get notifications whenever the new uh, videos come out for the hill, and so um, I was watching this, and I saw that moment, and I was like, oh my god, I, I cannot believe this. And um, I saw in like my related videos that the Vanguard they were streaming live at that time, mm-hmm. so uh, I like went in their stream and I and I uh, typed in the chat that they needed to go check out this clip. Oh, that was and, you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was me. Yeah. And so and so then they watched it like live on air, like towards the end of their stream, and then uh, and then like once they turned off the stream, that's when they posted it uh, on Twitter, and, and then you know just. It just took off uh, like that. Okay, well, Carolina boy, I I guess I owe you a debt of gratitude for getting us a little airplay then. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. It it was it was all you're doing. But no, I think that this um, this this has done something really good in in bringing up. This has forced, I think, the right to um, to really, you know, confront this um, this situation they created and try to define the term. And so in the past 48 hours, I feel like we've seen, uh, you know, a litany of uh, right wing characters in uh, mainly in independent, but also in like some mainstream media where, where some of them are, are seeing this have to actually try to define it. And so what I've noticed is they're either um, they're either calling it some like ridiculous character of an ideology that you know, no one is really believing mm-hmm. that people are actually like that or they're calling it or they're you know they're calling it something that a lot of people would um would agree with like i've seen some people say stuff like wokeness is the idea that there are systemic injustices that need to be addressed and Mm -hmm. i'm like okay yeah who disagrees with that Mm -hmm. so you know so that's that's also another trap for them or this uh sort of third trap that i've seen them fall into and uh matt walsh did it today on the show he said Wokeness is just leftism. I use them interchangeably, which basically <laughs> is them just admitting that it's whatever they don't like. And yeah. so I, I think, you know, I, I think they're, um, 
they're really like losing a lot of <laughs> uh, they're they're using they're losing the ability to use this really as like uh as as the tool that it was just to you know j j just as a buzzword to distract from you know substantive conversations and issues um and get some popular support on their side so yeah yeah, I think that's completely right. I, I, I saw some some reporting about uh, how woke is perceived in Cali and sorry in, in Florida, and apparently a lot of folks there are genuinely confused by the term, and no wonder. You know, I, I look, I confess to slipping like the word woke slipping in to my language when I want to say something's like vaguely absurd. You know, and I'm like, wait, wait mm -hmm. what am I doing? Like, like, or where I know I'm being a little bit preachy, maybe in something that I'm talking about or one of my values that I know is maybe a little bit not, not normalized yet. Uh, I think it's, it's my value. I think it's good, but it's maybe like a little bit, you know, like, and I, and I catch myself and I think, well, like I, I like, I honestly, I know what is, I know what they mean by it. And, and that's why I brought into my radar today, Sam Adler Bell and his article on wokeness last year, which we talked about on the podcast. I think I talked about it with uh, Freddie DeBoer. He had this, the bit of wokeness that I, like the bit of the definition that I think is a through thread from the very beginning of wokeness, which was, you know, um, be, be aware of social injustice, be aware of inequity, be aware, like I'm hip, I'm, I'm hip to it, I'm aware of it, I'm, I'm woke, I'm conscious, yeah? Even from mm -hmm. that part of the, even from, from that original definition till now, the part that I think has remained constant is this bit that's like a little conspiratorial, like a little conspiratorial, you know, like, um, you know what's really going on, right? You know the man is really out right. to get us, right? And it's not that it's untrue, but there's a little bit of that, like, you know they're right. out to get us um, part of it. Um, and I think that sometimes, like, that's the part that I picked up on and has been turned into this absurdity, this, like, oh, like, here here we go. Like, they really they really think that some boogeyman is out there, but it's, it's really not. And they're using this idea of a boogeyman out there to manipulate us. And... You know, I, 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 that evolution has been very interesting to me, but Sam Elder Bell really nailing this idea that like the problem about wokeness that irritates everybody is the, is the kind of wokeness that says, I'm going to be judgmental and preachy about a changing cultural norm that's very new and not broadly understood or even known about. And so the reaction isn't to the changing norm itself, but the judgmentality that comes from some portions of a, liberal population that wants to be overly right. scoldy about something that is like brand new. So the example right. I used in my radar was like, you know, that Stanford list of words we're not supposed to use anymore. Some of which I agree we shouldn't use anymore. Some of them are like, Oh, I didn't realize I wasn't supposed to say something's grandfathered in. Like I'm just learning that yeah. and I'm pretty woke. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, yeah. Go ahead. I was, no, I was going to say like, I think there is something to be said about, um, certain, you know, goofy identity politics, uh, moralizing that goes on on the left. And like, sure, like we, we can we can talk about that. But I mean, it's just clearly that the term itself used to have an actual like, you know, significant meaning. And it's, you know, I, I, once uh, a lot of goofy liberals started adopting it, like in, in recent years, um, it, it got perverse by them. Nina Turner was actually talking about this on a show today. I thought she did mm. a great job, like breaking down the history. It got perverse by like, you know, liberals that, um, it, it, that, you know, heard it, like it, once they got involved, in, like the social justice movements in like 2020, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, um, and, you know, and, and other social movements like that. And then, and then once, uh, conservatives started actually picking up on it, they just completely bastardized the word. 
into mm-hmm. what it is today. And so I think, um, and so I, I, like, it's it's clear that like for the last two years or so, it's clearly just been this this wet blanket uh, term used to to describe anything that that the right doesn't like. And you know, I, I will say I think that a lot of people uh, I, I think have I will say, I believe in bad faith have sort of played into this. Um, narrative like uh Batya, someone who I am not at all a fan of, but she does this constant like woke moral panic. I mean there's been a whole part of like her entire commentary that since I since I've heard from her. And she's like she's also really hyper obsessed with identity politics and she's always talking about, oh my gosh, the 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 black and Hispanic voters, they're like getting disillusioned with the left because they've gone so woke and 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 uh, they don't agree with all these woke stuff mm-hmm. and then she's been she's been even trying to say stuff she's been even trying to make the case like uh on on policies that most most black people most leftists like agree on that she's trying to call like too woke in order to get like credibility with the right-wing audience yeah, reparations she, she had and stuff a, like that so yeah um, yeah she had a black opinion columnist write this opinion piece at Newsweek against student debt cancellation as privileged and Mm -hmm. (laughs) well I said what I had to say about that in a Raider at the time so (laughs) yeah so though um, about the definitions people have been talking about this but it's worth noting why am I going in and out like that it's worth noting that um, Ron DeSantis in that lawsuit in Florida was forced his general counsel was forced to define it and they literally defined it as to me, it means someone who believes that there are systemic injustices in the criminal justice system and that on that basis, oh, wait, no, no, that's not it. Wait a minute. Sorry, here it is. The belief that there are systemic injustices in American society and the need to address them. Yeah, the belief there are systemic injustices in American society and the need to address them. Like, yes, King. <laughs> yeah, call me woke if that's what you're talking about. Like, right, so, right. And the, 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 the last one I'll make on this, because I, I think that really shows, like, this, this is something that that we've seen like the right do in the past. Once they've like hit on some sort of uh, buzzword or, or something that they can vaguely use to describe an enemy, they use that as like a cover for some whatever type of uh, very negative or like authoritarian type of policies. I mean, this is kind of like what the right was doing back in the early 2000s with like the war on terror mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You know, they, they all they have to do is, um, you know, fear mongering throughout the the word terrorism or, or 9-11 or whatever, and that would, like, be able to give them cover for, you know, suspending habeas corpus or, like, you know, uh, 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 illegal, like, war crimes and, and stuff that they've done. Yeah, so, this yeah. border stuff, the border stuff, I'm very concerned about. I don't know a lot about it. It came up on today's show, and I really was not a fan of talking about it, but I can see how that's getting used. Apparently, there are historic, they just declared that we don't have a controlled border or some some term of art that means that they don't feel like they have a grip on the border whatever that means and um there are record border uh, crossings apparently or attempts or whatever and obviously you've heard about joe biden going back to a lot of trump era policies with family separation and like i feel like that's one of those civil liberties things that's going to be the first to fall and then also uh Russia Ukraine related stuff is is going to be another thing that is a shock doctrine used to yeah. oppress us all. Yeah. It is. Stay woke, guys. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I agree with that. And I, I think uh, soon I'd love to see you do uh, an immigration related thing. I, I, I know some yeah. of you don't like talking about, but God, no, no, no. I, I want. Yeah, talk about I, it. Like, I want to. 
Carolina, I've been begging, begging leftists to come on and do an immigration episode with me since the show literally started. And for some reason, that's the issue. Nobody wants to touch with a 10-foot pole. I think the reason is because the left doesn't actually have a sense of what it wants an affirmative immigration policy to look like. They know what they want it to not look like. It's easy to say, like, I don't want kids in cages. But I don't think that anyone – I mean – if you're open borders, I want to hear the argument for open borders. If okay, you're, I support that, yes. Yeah, like I, I just want to hear it, but I'm tired of all of this ducking and dodging because no one's quite comfortable saying, and if you're not worth open borders, what's the ethical border policy that takes into account how many people are fleeing their countries because of America's actions? And with resource inequity the way it is, how what is the ethical border policy that says because of an arbitrary line, I have water and you don't? Like what is it? So yes. I, I, it's, yes. it's very hard, and I, that's why I think I, people don't want to do it. And Angela Nagel was getting into this a few years back and got in a lot of trouble, but I appreciate her at least willing to engage in it. And I've been trying to get her on the show. Renix from Current Affairs is someone who has written really compellingly about this stuff, and I would like to get them back on the show. But, like, I'm working on it. Trust me. It's something that I want to do. Okay, good. Yeah, and I, I, my theory on why I feel like a lot of leftists, like in independent media, don't want to touch it is because that's a, that's a sort of core issue that the right will – flame you for if if you're not you know just a, a total monster that wants to that you know wants to leave migrants that are fleeing terrible conditions to die and things like that so um I, yeah I well none of us is, are running for office so, so we can yeah. we can flap our gums and not get in trouble because we're yeah. we're just podcasters and regular people over here <laughs> sure. all right thank yeah, you so much well, again good. for the clip thank suggestion you. carolina boy and putting putting all little old uh rising on the map <laughs> It was all you. Thank you. Keep the faith. All right. Let's go to Ruben, who maybe is a first time caller. Ruben Hart, unmute yourself and let us know what's in your mind. Um, hello. I only have like five minutes. Um, anyway, ça va, Brianna? Ça va bien. How are you? Um, comme c'est comme ça. So, um, I was going to talk about, about, um, your interview with Rokana and how you guys are like kind of low key looking at like, the right going a little bit towards the left when it comes to East Palestine and regulations, because mm-hmm. I've been seeing that even before East Palestine. Because, like I said, I'm um, I'm a conservative with like populist streak. Anyways, but mm-hmm. um, that that one color I forgot his name. He brought up like food disparity, mm-hmm. um, and like food. I'm sure when it comes to like um, agricultural stuff. And um, have you seen that viral clip of Gwyneth Paltrow in some um, interview? She said like. Um, and it's like, it, it's going viral and it's like triggering a lot of people with like, um, disordered eating and, um, she, like her besties. In, oh in yeah. Hollywood, I saw that. Yeah. Her mm-hmm. besties and like Hollywood are like defending her. Um, and I'm like, this is like yet another like controversy she has. Cause like her goop kind um, company had like, it's all into like conspiracy theories type of um findings um and like she she fails to disclose quote doctors and her companies but yet people that still go like a, a lot of women rich women that go to like buy her products end up like suing her because i mean like her company goop because um of after effects like some um like sh- like they'll get allergies or something and it's mm. only particular um it's only concentrated with like white women but even though she um she caters for all women in her quote group company, um she has like a lot of yeah yeah like a lot of, um like a lot of lawsuits. But that one clip 
um, is going viral because like she is prom- she's glorifying disorder- di- disordered eating and have you seen that viral clip though? I, I definitely have seen the clip. I don't know that I like listen to, you know, how you see things on the timeline. I think mm-hmm. I clicked on it and maybe listened to a few seconds of it. What did she talk about? Like intermittent fasting? Yeah. She said and... like, she has like chicken broth or something. Broth oh yeah. Bone broth. Yeah. Bone broth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know too, too much. Look, I'm, I'm a little, I, I, and again, I don't know anything about the goop in the, in the lawsuits, um, and what she's selling. I'm a little hesitant to extrapolate from one woman's eating habits too much, you know, like, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know that I want to connect kind of like state level food policy to one rich lady who, you know, wants to be skinny or, in her mind, healthy, if that's what she thinks is, is driving her health and all of that. But, you know, I, I understand I understand why it's bad optics. Gwyneth keeps kind of putting her foot in it, and there are a lot of bad optics moments for her. I'm not insure, entirely sure if she's just in a bubble so deep that she can't see how much of the world is perceiving her. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, don't, I can't get I, – I guess I'm not too – too caught up in her personal life. I did enjoy her performance in Emma. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. But yeah, um, and also want to like, um, like, kudos to like Nathan for saying it because here and here here in LA, the more west someone goes, the more like bougie and Trader Joey and Whole Foods like um, you'll find. But the more east and south of LA you go, everything is like gasoline station food fast food and even though our current mayor of la keeps saying that like la is very progressive and woke and liberal and i'm like well look at south side la look at compton look at like eastern Mm -hmm. part like east la it's like how many like restaurants and like how many taco bells i find in like the east side how many like um like Burger Kings and McDonald's yeah. I find in the East and South side. So that's why I'm like, I hate this whole woke thing too. But you know, um, you were like you, that viral moment you had, it was pretty cool. But anyways, I have to go. <laughs> that's it. Like my, my lunch break is about to be over, but anyways, congratulations on going viral. All right. Well, thank you so much for calling in Ruben. I hope I see you here again. Of thank course, you. Uh, of course. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Keep the faith. All right. Allende, what's on your mind tonight? Ooh, Ayende, you are real low muted and muffled for me. One second. Okay. How about- okay, that's already so much better. Okay, good. Um, so to keep it quick, um, I was gonna talk about something else, but I'm talk about this. So ethical, <laughs> ethical rich people is a topic, right? Okay. And so let's say you're in a scenario where you just suddenly come into a bunch of money, right? Mm-hmm. How, as a leftist, what do you do with that money? Ooh, Nathan, this is a, this is a topic that he is really good at. And as I sit here talking to you, Ayende, I confess I am bl- browsing blouses for me to wear on the hill. <laughs> <laughs> I am bl- I am browsing solid colored mock neck blouses in the colors of the ones I already have. <laughs> so I don't know. I think it's a really hard. Um, I think it's a hard question. I think it is an easier question the more money it is. You know. Okay, so you're you're ten billion. You just have oh Jesus. 
right? We have a ten uh, billion, $10 billion dollars. It's not in. It's like all in like weird like money things like it's not in one company like you're not in invested in one company you don't control a company it's just like pure money is, is it okay well for one you're that is now a level of money that can make so much money that for even one ten a hundred people no one ever has to work because of the interest on that amount of money you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, that is that is too much money to have, I would argue. Like you could set your entire family up for the rest of the generations okay, so to the end of all time. <laughs> the problem is that because giving away money is a full-time job. That's why you have foundations and stuff, right? Because you so want to like, make sure it's – yeah, go ahead, go ahead. This question yeah. is because like – so you know you know how you had this whole, we had this whole sticking point with like Andrew Yang about the Ford the Ford party yeah. taking like money like corporate money or just like you know large sums of money in general from rich people mm-hmm. right and so like the other day I was thinking like okay again day you make it big right you do a startup whatever you sell it off whatever like what do you do with the money like because you care you care more about this like leftism stuff and, and like socialism whatever than you do like whatever it is you were building whatever problem you were solving so mm-hmm. what are you doing with this money. Right. And I'm thinking, okay, um, I donate to a strike fund. But then I think about it, I'm like, how is it any different? The strike fund taking my money. How is it any different than the Ford party taking my money? Right. And if the strike fund, like, like, well, what do you mean? Unpack that for me. So when, like, so, you know, the corrupting influence of the money that I'm giving to this organization, like, like, doesn't money, like, if I'm, I don't want to get too hung up on like the strike fund example, but like, if I'm going to be, let's say, good organization, like a good organization that I think is going to be using the money for some leftist purpose, socialist purpose that I agree with, right? Uh-huh. Doesn't me giving them the money, right, and them building a reliance on me corrupt the organization automatically? Is it a one-time donation? Uh, it could be. Look, I mean, someone else, other people feel free to weigh in. I think a one-time donation, so they're not needing to appease you in any way to get more money, right? And there's no conditions on the donation. They can literally, you know, they're not beholden to you and your opinions in any way. It's, I mean, it's hard for me to see how that would be, how that would influence them at all. Okay. I mean, like, look, the the, the problem is, are you going to turn like the concern is and why Bernie didn't want to take money from billionaires. So they're going to turn around and say, well, I did this for you. You have to make time for me. You have to put me at the top of the call list. You have to show up at my fundraiser. You have to let me on the phone with you when I want something done legislatively. Too often people are beholden to that. People do because they, I think in some level they are looking out for more money, the next campaign cycle and all of that. I don't know if people, say things like i'm giving you this and i'm never giving you anything again as an inducement to have that separation i don't know it's a tough question i think that any contribution i was saying this to to Bati today this is one of those moments where there was some slippage and i was like well let me let me just make it really clear what i'm saying i i i think that she was she was making the case that uh, Democrats uh, bailed out Silicon Valley Bank because Silicon Valley Bank is all Democrats and you can't trust Democrats. Now, I 
feel that sometimes the way she makes arguments encourages people to vote for Republicans as though Republicans aren't doing the same dumb stuff. So I wanted to really clarify that while Silicon Valley Bank may or may not have, we were talking about Gavin Newsom having um, deposits at that bank. While that is true, it is also true that people like David Sachs were very aggressive about the bank getting bailed out, and he is in no way a Democrat. And the reason that people listen to folks like Gavin Newsom and David Sachs is not because they're Republican or Democrats, but because they're very, very rich. And I pointed out that while most Silicon Valley Bank people might give to get Democrats, maybe that's true. Most people in San Francisco, I'm sure, give to Democrats. It's also true that labor gives to Democrats more than any other group. And the Democratic Party does not listen to labor because it's not just about the idea of money. It's about how much money and how centralized the money is. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't know. It's I, every every dollar. What I guess what I'm saying is every dollar is corrupting, and what makes it less corrupting is when it's more diffused through the population. The way that labor labor money, labor votes, individual working class people's dollars are less have less of a negative influence because what's one one Bernie seven dollar donor really going to demand? Like, what power do they have to demand something in a way that a billion dollar donor does? It's very different. And so at the end of the day, the problem, I, I appreciate this as like a thought experiment, but the real problem is having a political system where people spend so much money on election, on elections and also are able to get and use money from both unknown sources and aggregated sources in these PACs, uh, which have undue influence. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, uh, to end this, because I know you're over time. Mm -hmm. My, I just came up with this. Okay, what if you just say, what if you just say, like, you have some group of people, like, some constituency that you really care about, and you just say, okay, you guys get to, like, each one individually, you guys get to decide where the money goes. Can we say that again? So you have, like, let's say I choose, like, a district, right? And you set something up where, maybe this is a full-time job, but, like, whatever, you set something up where people can, like, people can choose where each hundred dollars of the 10 billion or whatever goes and you just leave it up to people. So let's say if you, you know, you take the number of the amount of money and divide it up among the, uh, from, you know, by the number of people in the district and then every person in the district is to determine where that, that slice of the money goes. Yeah. Are there any rules about not just taking it yourself? Well, there would be, there would be rules. Like, so like, let's say it has to go to like a nonprofit or something or whatever. Or we just give it to them because, like, you know, poor people pick a poor district. Like, who cares? I mean, if you didn't give it to yourself, people are going to take it for themselves, <laughs> which is yeah. maybe not wrong. But I think that's just reality. Yeah. You know, even someone who's, like, not that bad off is going to use it to pay off their loans. And someone who, <laughs> but like, know, listen, if we pick If we pick up, like, a poor, like a, like, a very, very poor district, right, then, like, who cares? Like, here, keep, have the money, you know? Does that make sense? If you want, I mean, I don't know what you're asking me. Do you, if if you have a ten billion dollars and wanted to give it to some poor people, I like I can lend you for like that. It's a, it's a good thing, right? <laughs> like I think it's a good thing to do. I, I, you know, are you arguing for some kind of UBI? I'm arguing that, like, I'm not really arguing. I'm just saying, like, okay, like, if I'm in that situation, right? Does does that seem like a valid way to disperse the money? Just like pick a poor district and just give people the money. I think that's as valid as anything. I think okay. that the nonprofit industrial complex is incredible and so much money goes to people getting paid $200,000 to administer other people's money. Um, and nothing has been shown to be as useful in addressing poverty as just giving money to poor people. 
So I think I, I, I personally would have no problem with that. Great. So I mean, like, why am I against means testing, but suddenly I get $10 billion and I want to means test the shit out of it because it's my money. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, whatever. Let's just, I'm with you. Let's just give it away. Let's drop it from a helicopter over uh, Moss Point, Mississippi. (laughs) Have a nice dinner, (laughs) Bree. Thank you. You too. Um, I was Googling how much time it takes me to get there. Uh, while I was chatting with one of you and I'm going to take one more call so long as it ends by eight forty. So let's go with, um, Maria. What's on your mind, Maria. And I'm, I see the long queue and I feel really bad about how short this is. So I'm going to try to do a video episode. If not tomorrow, then over the weekend. So if you're not already a subscriber at that YouTube, go over there. So you don't miss whenever I do this live. Okay. Maria, what's on your mind? Hey, can you hear me? You loud and clear. Uh, yeah. So, um, well, there's a lot that you guys talked about during today too. Uh, that was really good. But, um, today's episode I found super interesting. Just like, yeah, I think like there's something I think really important about acknowledging and working through sort of the realities of the fact that like the left as like it should have or sort of fundamentally kind of makes sense to exist sort of disappeared from the U.S. for a long time and there was this like real move to sort of like where everyone was just for deregulation as like the response to a system that was badly regulated Mm. instead Mm -hmm. of trying to like fix those regulations or make them Mm -hmm. like update them was just the sense of like oh, let's just go the opposite direction and just get rid of all of the regulations, which Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think that's just something that we really need to. um, Yeah, I I guess it's just like something to learn from and consider for the future, because I think all too often, like as humans, we just think like, oh, this thing isn't working. So like, let's just throw it away. Yeah, well, Reagan did a number on us. And, you know, it wasn't an accident that that happened. That was like a hardcore propaganda (laughs) campaign that really was effective. And what has been so inspiring to me about East Palestine and why I can't let it go is because for some reason, Republicans let the mask slip and they're not all clamoring for regulation. Same with this uh, SVB stuff. And, like, if if Republicans are going to make themselves vulnerable, then Democrats need people with integrity, which they're very few and far between, but people with integrity in the party who can come forward and say, this is exactly why we've been saying for the last 40 years that deregulation was bad and that we need to have regulations to protect the interests of regular Americans. Unfortunately, a lot of Democrats can't say that because they were right there signing those deregulation bills along with the best of them. But there are some people, especially these younger Congress members who weren't there for any of that, really need to be leading on these issues along with Bernie Sanders. And the fact that, like, even Bernie hasn't been on the ground in East Palestine saying that. Like, if I were Bernie Sanders, I would be having the best speechwriters in the world. I would get David Sirota (laughs) and some other speechwriters together writing me a barn-burning speech about the power of government to stand up for and protect the people and and naming names of every Congress member that voted to deregulate the railroads and no one would ever forget it. Yeah, no, I mean, this is such a perfect moment for Democrats to like really, or at least like some part of the Democratic Party to, um, even if it's just the progressives to really like 
try to exercise the amount of power that they do have and sort of coalesce more power behind something that feels like a real like winning political opportunity somehow like it's just pretty amazing how they keep letting these what seems like perfectly like wrapped like situations that call out just how serious the situation is just how much you need like these you know progressive policies or changes and regulation that like I don't know if people just don't seem to be willing to seize on which is very yeah I mean the cynical view of it is they know perfectly well how they could use these moments to their advantage and they're choosing not to because they they deregulated that stuff for a reason and they're on the same side as the republicans and they've got uh you know they've warned everybody to sit quiet and the call is coming from within the house the democratic house you know the the white house you know um you know you know the the argument is is are the democrats stupid evil are they bad at their jobs or evil i'm not sure which is better yeah but i don't it seems like it's one of those two options you know yeah, no, but uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you've not that you keep sort of talking about these things because yeah, I've also found the East Palestine thing to be really, um, it's just it's really scary how much like how letting this go will obviously just lead to another disaster of similar like so many people. I mean, we already had another one in Ohio with the same rail company within weeks of the first one. You know. Yeah, there was another derailment. Uh, Seattle today, I think mm. that it was you know leaking oil and like Jeez. it's just yeah I I don't know it's just such a nightmare. But uh, I'll let you go and uh, yeah thanks for everything and thanks for doing this call-in show. It's made me really sort of hopeful just having like knowing that there's so many other people who actually have similar or like you know views and like we'll talk about things. It's really nice. Well, thank you for saying that. I feel the same way. You guys know this is the favorite of all of the, all of my so-called gigs. <laughs> I really enjoy you. I get so much back from the audience. And um, hopefully we can do another one of these with the video component sometime before Monday's episode because so much has happened. There's a lot to talk about. I'm so glad you brought up um, the episode. I feel guilty that we didn't talk about it more, but we'll have time in the future. Thanks to everybody. Uh, keep the faith. Wish I had a pilot podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler and travel with portable speakers playing bars scans. I wish I had a million pounds. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all a million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beaver Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. This well had water in it These kids are stealing all my pennies Focused on my wealth You can help me wish But I would rather wish to help us like I wish, I wish And every time we loving it feels just like this I wish, I wish And every time we do it it feels just like this